Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Mr. Kelly, are you leaving? Well, you know, I asked if you wanted me to stick around. He said no. I said, okay, I'll go. So after you I get off today, hours. are you going over to the Soldiers Memorial and take a tour around? Uh, I don't think today, but I'm going to soon. Yeah, today it, would probably doesn't be... Doesn't it look great? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And it's especially at night. Mm-hmm. You know, when I came down, it was still dark, so consequently all the uplighting, it's like... I mean, it glows from a huge distance. Yeah, yeah, it's gorgeous. I've noticed it at uh, coming to the hockey games recently. Right. And with the, the fountains out front now and the on the City Hall side, the Market Street side. Right. And all that, it's gorgeous. They did yeah. a great job with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Your tax dollars at work. Uh, actually, no. Because you live in Illinois. Well, you dirty no. rat. This was all privately funded. Really? Yeah. The whole thing? Yeah, the tailors the- had a lot to do with it. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's the enterprise people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. The, the new... In the sports world, you know how we used to look at Anheuser-Busch, always, you know, they bought the Cardinals and they would do that and they would right. do that. Now the, the Taylors and Enterprise are kind of moving into that. Remember they were going to, you know, naming rights on the football stadium, so now they got the naming rights on the arena and they're part of the uh, MLS push. Right. So, yeah, great wow. people, great people. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks. Sure. Yes, folks, and thanks to you. Welcome, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. You can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we'll discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your houseplants. Ooh, those houseplants, if they're... Still outside, they may not be looking so good. Potting mixes, how to improve your soil, pruning, bugs, diseases, planting, removals, installations. And remember, my words are opening opportunities. After that, it's going to take work on your part. This is a great marathon called gardening. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg Harvey. He's producing again today. He's on a quite the streak. I don't know how long it's been, but he's... Dedicated to the Garden Hotline, at least right now. I'm Mike Miller, by the way, and I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And uh, the Revised Missouri Gardener's Guide is one of those books. And the other one is Month by Month Gardening in Missouri. Those are the ones that are available. I also write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting where I can come to your home and do a walk and talk. And I can answer any kind of questions, concerns that you may have. And uh, if you'd like to set up one, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And the homepage is my, on the homepage is my email address or, and or phone number, and you can contact me. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. As I approached, got closer and closer, fantastic uplighting. A row of American flags across the street reopens on November 3rd. 
and along the north side of this building, ornamental grasses, variegated ripe, anchor the slope. And at the northeast corner, there is a finial that says Somme Defensive. And I looked and I thought, what is this? There's actually a rabbit already living there. I can't believe it. He must have taken a sort of a vacation or moved away temporarily and then came back. But there's a combination of these ornamental grasses and ornamental shrubs that run along the top edge. A new sign declares Soldiers Memorial, Missouri Historical Society. Workers begin the final removal removal of pallets and uh, rented scooters sweep by. And there's uh, somebody that actually just parked right behind me that was offloading some more scooters. So you can come down to the Soldiers Memorial and then take a scooter ride all the way through town. The base of the American flagpole, a plaque says City of St. Louis Soldiers Memorial, dedicated May 30th, 1938 to our war dead. And it also says museum rooms open to the public. And along the building foundation, well, you're going to see some boxwood. You're going to see some purple cone flowers. Wow. On the north side. Hmm, it'll be interesting to see how they do. Viburnums and some cat mint. They're all singing in harmony. There's two huge statues, one of winged horses, one with a warrior. The other one has a, a woman and a baby. And uh, boy, oh boy, it is just uh, underneath one of them it says, Loyalty, that's the warrior one, and underneath the lady with the baby, it says sacrifice. Along this brand-new North Plaza area includes a ramp. So if as an option to get up to the actual entrance to the Soldier's Memorial. And on the northwest corner, the fountain grass is still there, purple coneflowers as well. But there's a little kind of niche in between the ramp and the stairway, and you're going to see the same plants in that particular area. You're going to see actually fountain grass and more purple coneflowers. And then opposite the U.S. flag is going to be the Missouri state flag. And the finial on that end, the northwest corner, says Esprit Lees. I don't know what, you know, I don't speak that language, so I don't know exactly what that is. But surrounding the base is also going to be some of the more ornamental grasses. And it's a mirror image of the corner on the northeast side. So uh, workers were really making the final preparations for the reopening of the Soldiers Memorial. And it's really quite the building, needless to say. But, boy, it has been upgraded fantastically. I just think, you know, I've got this. I forget where I got this. It may have been in the newspaper on Sunday or something. But there's a whole little booklet on all the history of the uh, Soldiers Memorial, and it declares reopening November 3rd, 2018. So they actually will be opened in another couple hours to the public. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, today was, I think, maybe the first, but maybe I had worn shoes and socks one day previous. But this morning I got up and I could tell with the you know the moisture on the ground and everything else. But again, we've had some great rains, which has really helped. And I still want to pronounce and say and announce, which you probably already know, The fall color this year has been the most spectacular and striking I can ever remember. I mean, the full gamut of colors. Some years you see more oranges, you see a lot of yellows, some years you see some reds. This year we get everything, so it has really 
nothing short of spectacular. And there's still quite a few trees that have quite a few leaves on them, too. And the burning bush. You can definitely tell the difference when people have planted their burning bush correctly in the full sun versus burning bush that are in part shade or shade. The color difference is like totally night and day almost. So anyway, let's head south to Oakville and go into Steve's yard. Hi, Steve. Hi, Mike. I got a question about grass seed. I see, you know, these contractors in the state and everything. They get done digging. They throw some seed out real nonchalantly. Uh, cover it up with straw, and it seems like a week later uh, it's ready to be cut. And I have terrible luck with grass seed from the hardware stores and stuff. And I'm just wondering, is there a, a brand name for that seed that they use? No, I don't know what seed. You know, they probably, my guess is it's probably a fescue. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's just, they're watering it, and it's, you know, it's just germinating really quickly. And it elongates really fast, but it's still not thick. But uh, I would think any, you know, as long as you're going to, let's say, a reputable, let's say, garden center or hardware store that sells, you know, full line, more or less, of garden supplies, whatever type seed they have. But I don't know if, if they're putting fescues down. And But I always recommend a blend. When you get blue grasses, there's really not too many blends available. So it's, you know, it's really kind of tough to know what they're actually putting down. Okay. Well, thanks. Yeah, and to be honest with you, just because it germinates really quick and grows, elongates very fast, doesn't necessarily mean it's all that healthy. So don't think that's going to be necessarily a healthy lawn. And you can see from looking at it, it's going to take anybody that does any seeding, especially on bare areas, this area has generally has not been improved by the contractors that have done the work. So the seeds, you know, will germinate very fast. And as far as survivability, that's going to be somewhat limited. So thanks, Steve. Right. And let's stay south and go to Ann's yard. She lives in South County. Hi, Ann. Hi. Uh, I have another question. I've called you before about this. I have crazy hydrangeas that are blooming again all through October and now, and also a uh, lavender azalea bush, and this blooming. Now, my question, again, is it's uh, what it's under my deck, and it's got uh, cedar mulch all around it, you know. Now, when it quits blooming and the frost hits it, should those flowers be cut off? Now or wait till spring? Well, the azalea flowers, you never have to cut off. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's just a waste of time. The hydrangeas, what you can do is just you can leave them if you want to because, I mean, the bracts, B-R-A-C-T-S, that stay, so that's what's left over when the flowers are actually finished. You know, I mean, some people like them in the wintertime. Some people cut them off, bring them inside, and use them for flower, you know, dry flower arrangements. So mm-hmm. you've got a couple different options. But probably next year, before the new growth begins, you should probably cut off the spent bracts on your high, you know, hydrangeas. But I've seen down. there's been people that I see that never prune them. They leave that stuff. Finally, it all just falls off and shatters as the new growth begins. Well, how far down do you cut the uh, flower off? Maybe two, three inches? or uh, You can just go right below, you know, an inch below actually where the flower cluster is. You don't have mm-hmm. to go further down. Depending upon the variety that you have and everything else, sometimes that can sort of set the pruning tempo. But uh, it really doesn't matter because you're really just basically removing the bracts because you don't necessarily want to look at them. 
But if now if you wanted for dry flower arrangements, you're going to have to cut them down a little bit longer so they can fit into a vase. No, I don't think I'll do that. But I do want to know tell you that it did not hardly bloom at all this year in the early part of the year at right. Nolan Bay. And it's weird. I know it was the weather that caused it, but it does this every year now. And they're about 12 years old, these bushes. And one's blue and one's pink. And they're just loaded with blooms now at this time of year. You well, know. you're lucky. Most people don't have hardly anything blooming in their landscape at all, except maybe sweet autumn clematis, which is a type of vine they're flowering. Some uh-huh. of the annuals are flowering, but there's not too many shrubs that you know are flowering. The azaleas obviously out of sequence, and you know I guess the hydrangeas are too. Maybe you should, do you have any friends that you could just sort of give them to? No, I'm kidding. But uh, neighbors, yeah, I do do that. <laughs> and then in the spring, I always have that certain kind of uh, fertilizer with that acid condition. Exactly. And I put it around the blue and uh, and well, the pink. It does change something on the pink, but the blue turns to almost lavender. It's this beautiful, right? And uh, aluminum sulfate is actually the thing to fool around with the colors. But it's, it sounds like you're doing everything just right, so don't alter it. Uh-huh. Now I have one little bush in the center of under the deck that is sort of a fuchsia color, but it hasn't bloomed this year. It's a real little one. Oh, maybe it's just unhealthy. So it's good that it's not flowering because flowering stresses any plant, especially if they're undersized and not necessarily as healthy as they need to be. But have you heard of this before with other people calling in about this? unusual flower at this time of year oh sure i mean it's it's not all that unusual because of the, our goofy weather and i don't know what direction you're you know underneath your deck faces but all that so many different things from a nature standpoint plays a big big role well the sun comes in on the east and onto the right and it sets in the left on the left you know on the nighttime the sun and uh, it doesn't get full full sun all day long right it, so it, it, it sounds like you're facing the north so you're yeah. actually yes, getting I the am. fluctuations of cold you know that deck area is you know getting cold winds coming in it may be just enough to like trigger something on the hydrangeas or the azalea whatever and then it warms up again and then cold again and so that's what you're dealing with that's what it well it does face north there at the back of the house right yes well thank you very very much well I thanks appreciate Ann. your help certainly and let's get another call in. Uh, let's go to Campsville, Illinois, and that's Emerson. Hi, Emerson. Hello. Uh, you talk about, uh, well, first off, I'm lost in the fog up here. <laughs> we had it here, but it wasn't that dense. <laughs> oh, it's bad here. Really? Been that way. Um, I have talked about blooming uh, sessions. I have a clematis that bloomed usually twice a year, bloomed in the spring. It's a purple one. And it bloomed again, like in September. Now it's after three frosts, it's blooming again. Wow! And it's in a spot uh, where I've always had trouble because it's mounted by, or climbs on an old cultivator wheel on the edge of a little hill by a rock wall, where I have trouble getting around with the mower. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to move it, but I was thinking about it. But I'm thinking now, would I even want to attempt it? Uh, or do anything since it's done this late thing. Uh, should I try to take it and move it anywhere or not? I would say, you know, 
give yourself a you know a pat on the back, or if you go over and pat your clematis, if you're getting blooms three times a year, I wouldn't fool around with moving it. To be honest yeah. with you, well, it's yeah, I just it's kind of a tricky place to to mow around, especially if I'm on the rider. I just was thinking about it, and it goes, it gets up there. Um, you know, just climbs all over that steel wheel most right. of the time. Well, that sounds great. And so I thought, well, should I do anything with it or just take my chances and let her go and see how long it's going to live? Yeah, I would say just leave it alone. And if it's, can you just put like, you know, just a bed of mulch around it so you don't have to, you know, to make your mowing circumstance a little bit easier? Well, here's my other problem. It's got so much grass around it. And I've tried the weed eater, and occasionally I've whacked a little vine, and it'll come back out. Right. Uh, it's, it'd be a lot of digging to just get that grass out of there. It's tall. I don't know what kind it is. Uh, but it seems to come back and climb right out and come right up through there like it, like it's supposed to. It's the wheels leaning on a post. Well, maybe just post. call your grass a wildflower and, call, <laughs> and enjoy that and just mow around it where it's really easy. And if somebody yeah. complains, and just tell them, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, I'm out in the country here, so north of Gamsville. So, eh, it's just uh, been in the way in a certain place where somebody else planted it years ago. Right. <laughs> well, Okay, well, I'll leave it alone. I just, uh, it's amazing, though. It's got three blooms in there. They just opened up yesterday. Fantastic. Third time this 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 year. That's great. Okay, I'll leave it alone. All right. Might as well. See you, Emerson. <laughs> Thank you. Yep, and now let's stay in Illinois and go to Chuck's yard. Hi, Chuck. Mike, good morning. Hey, uh, I I want to plant in the in the spring or or whenever you you tell me to. I don't want to plant arborvitaes because they have the the multi shafts and they can get bent over in ice storms. What am I looking for that has the evergreen that grows uh, fairly uh, in a pyramid shape, but it's got a single center stem? Uh, boy, there's. You know, not too many other than when you, you're going to have to get into like the like the spruces and pines and things along that line. Because even the junipers most of the time can have, you know, multiple you know trunks coming up. But you could just go and just look for the junipers, juniperus, and get a variety. Chinensis is a species and then another type. And just look at it and make sure that, it you know, it doesn't have multiple trunks coming up because a lot of times they won't have, but sometimes they can have. So you just have to kind of look into the interior. So probably juniper would be one of the things that I would consider more so than a spruce or a pine. Okay, because I'm looking for something that I don't want it to grow tall, maybe six, seven, eight feet at, at the most and that I can, can trim along the side. So I'll check out the junipers. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different varieties of the junipers. So, and uh, ones that, uh, there's a couple varieties that won't get quite as tall, but uh, so just, you know, see what your favorite garden center has and then kind of go from that particular standpoint. Also with the Arborvitae too, what I recommend for people when I'm doing the walk and talk and they have a you know, circumstance, they've put arborvitae in for screening or whatever, is put bungee cords around them. And that way, if there is an ice storm, it won't have a tendency to pull them apart and break them and all that kind of stuff. Okay, got it, Mike. So, uh, but bungee cord, but uh, arborvitae better than... Better than the juniper or, or has six of one? No, junipers are by far tougher than an arborvitae. 
Okay, got it. Super. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I mean, there's some great arborvitae in the town and everything else, but junipers, they're, you know, even though I'm saying get, you know, the varieties that started off in, you know, Japan, China, you know, the Orient area versus the ones that are kind of cousins to our native juniper, it's, you know, it's still native, you know, its cousins are native to here, so that's why it's a little bit better. The arborvitae do much better on the West Coast. So anyway, thanks, Chuck. And if anybody else has any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have some serious political differences here at home. Political rancor. Same on you! I'd like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. It's no longer down with Trump and Any guy that can do a body slam, he's my... Is it just the new normal? We are fighting now to save our country. We need men and women of character and office. We will take back the world. That's what this race is about. Or can we come together? Our opponents are just our opponents. Tuesday is election day. Vote. Then get complete decision 2018 coverage Tuesday night. We are all Americans. From News Radio 1120, KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Just watch out, uh, you know, walking around in your yard because soil compaction can result. We've had a heck of a lot of rain in the last few days. I don't know if all the, you know, metropolitan areas have. But uh, when you walk, if you hear kind of the squishing sound, then your, your ground is really wet. So just be real careful about it. It's not major compaction, but if you have a tendency to walk the same path back and forth and back and forth, let's say from your patio to your garage or whatever it happens to be, you can really make some, you know, some real bad compaction. And what compacted soil means, guess what? That means it's a great, let's say, venue for growing weeds, that's why a lot of times uh, core aeration with compost afterwards, it actually helps with weed control because you're reducing the soil compaction and you're giving the grass because lawn just in general does not like a heavily compacted soil. So that's kind of what you're looking at. So that's why core aeration is so crucial and so critical for your lawn just kind of in general. And uh, other things that you need to be concerned with, the cool season weeds are still continuing just to germinate. I mean, some of them started early on, but uh, henbit is one that I, I'm seeing more and more and more of. So that's one of several cool season weeds. Annual bluegrass is another one. So consequently, there's all kinds of things going on in the outdoors that could be problematic for the long term. It's very easy to pull henbit if you happen to see some... With my house, what I did is when we moved from Soulard, I put about a f- uh, three to four foot wide steel edge bed that mimics the outline of our house. And I backfilled that with rock. And the reason for that was so I could have easy access all the way around the house, whether I want to clean windows, whether I want to do this, whether I wanted to do that. And it pushed all the plant material further away. I had to remove a bunch of plant material that was existing because of what I wanted to do and the existing plants I didn't necessarily care for. But consequently, I'm where I get a lot of the henbit and cool season or warm season, you know, let's say weeds germinating is in that rock bed that goes around the house. But I can walk around it, you know, once every week or so and just pull those, you know, newly germinated seedlings up 
very, very easy without much problem at all. So I could, you know, I should have put pre-emergent down along that, but no. I just like to, you know, sometimes I use pre-emergent, sometimes I don't. I want to just kind of keep on track as far as, well, you know, this year it didn't make much difference, but the, you know, the previous year or the future, it may make a big difference. So I always kind of alter everything that I do just so I can kind of keep track of what's going on. Virginia lives in Kirkwood. Virginia, how are you today? I'm just fine, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, two quick questions. I started, not started, but I was given a, a small rubber tree plant this spring. <clears throat> Had it out on my deck, in, mostly in shade, frankly. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it must have been in the right place because it did beautifully. Brought it in the house, and now it is gradually just losing a leaf here and a leaf there. Is that the shock of bringing it in? Is there anything I can do to at least minimize that, if not stop it? Uh, basically, it is a shock. I mean, it's reacclimation to a totally new environment. Hopefully, you've uh-huh. put it you know, where it's getting direct sun for as maximum amount of hours as possible. Because they do need a whole lot of light. Even though when they were out, it was outside, it was in a part shade situation or whatever it happens uh-huh. to be. Once you bring it inside, it's a completely different world. Yeah, and it it still, even though if, if it was in mostly shade, it got a lot more light outside right. than where it is in the house. And it's not in a place where it gets as much light as it would other places, so I'll start by moving it to a different location. Right, and also, this time of year, minimize the amount of watering. So look at the inside of the pot and do not water it until you start to see the potting mix on, you know, shrinking away from the inside uh-huh. of the pot. Once there's a little gap there, then then you can go ahead and water. No fertilizer this time of year for, like, the rubber tree, any of the ficus trees, anything that's not, let's say, in bloom or budded for flowering, no fertilizer whatsoever. Okay. Okay. I'll try. I, I won't do that, and I will get it in a place <laughs> where it gets a little more light. Um, also, just as an experiment, I brought in a geranium. Which is, and I have that where it's getting as much light as my house provides at least, mm-hmm. and boy, it's just falling apart. <laughs> you know, the leaves are turning, the flowers aren't blooming. I assume that's just what I should expect. Is that correct? Pretty much. My grandmother always brought her potted geraniums in, and she just took them down in the basement. And, and set them in more or less dark. I mean, well, it wasn't truly dark. I mean, it was near a basement yeah. window, sure. but there sure. wasn't a whole lot of light coming in there. And the stems, you know, didn't collapse. The foliage all died off, no flowering, nothing. And then she uh-huh. just put the stems back out the following year, and they came back again. Did she water it? Uh, probably not very often, let's put it that way. Cause, okay. And I, I can't say, you know, I can't honestly remember you know, how often she watered, but it wasn't very often at all. I may do that as an experiment then. Just let it stay in and sort of ignore it most of the winter and right. see what happens and put it out next spring. I think it's kind of like, uh, you know, bringing anything potted inside uh, just in general. I have, a, you know, some kaffir lilies, clivias, and I water them about every six weeks or so. And uh, oh. then the there's knockout roses that I have in pots that I put in the garage for the wintertime after I cut them back. I water them with about a gallon of water. They're in a, you know, probably 26 or 28-inch pot. And uh-huh. uh, about uh, once every four or five weeks, I give them some water. Okay, interesting. Okay, I'll move the, um, the rubber tree plant and just experiment with the 
uh, with the other one. Thanks so much. Certainly. That sounds great. And, uh, you know, other things going on in the outdoors. Wow. The cold has really knocked off a lot of things. I, what I'm surprised is I have some regular, let's say, cocktail series begonias and facing the north. They're near my front door. They have not been knocked out by the cold whatsoever. I, now, I can't say I didn't really look at them this morning before I came in, so that may be the difference. When I get home, I might go, oh, so that'll be the end of it. But I'm ba- basically going to take down all the Halloween decorations that we have, which we had not a huge amount, but a lot, and then start planting my spring flowering bulbs I in pots. I don't put hardly any of them in the ground at all anymore. And uh, so I'll just start getting those installed. So if you do have any, let's say, spring flowering tulips, daffodils, crocus, uh, grape hyacinths, whatever you happen to have, flowering onions, you can certainly get them planted now. You can put them in the ground, but just make sure it's a well-drained area. If it's an area where water sits, you know, at all, then it's going to be problematic, you know, for the bulbs just to even survive. And then... I constantly want to remind people, too, there's been a couple years since uh, I've been doing this. In Soulard, it never happened because of the way the building structure were and everything else. Uh, uh, They were in a courtyard, so in pots. They never had problems with the cold weather. But I think once, if not twice, we've been in our house now 11 years, there's been, it's gotten so cold that actually the, a lot of the bulbs did not survive the wintertime, you know, I mean, probably I shouldn't say a lot, but at least half of them didn't survive. The daffodils always do fine. It's the tulips that really have some major problems in the pots when the weather gets really cold. So just, you know, understand that that's what the situation is, the, the circumstances. But I just like them in pots myself because, you know, in the ground, that's great. I enjoy looking at other people that have them in the ground, but I like to maneuver my pots around. And, you know, so I'm just kind of a, a nut when it comes to pots. And some of them, you know, I'm going to be 70 in about six months. So some of my pots are getting a little bit heavy, but uh, I'll just try to keep moving them until I can't move them anymore. And then I'll just leave them sit where they are. And that's going to be how it goes. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- 436-7900-1800-925-1120. Yes, get out there, check the depth of your mulch, and uh, maybe you do need to add some mulch. Hey guys, it's Alex Ferrario. Join me and Amy Mark Scores for Chili's Week in Hockey as we dive deep into the blue season every Monday night. Notes from around the league and everyone's favorite, what's up with that? 8 to 10 Monday nights on KMOX. KMOX is looking for nonprofit organizations in the St. Louis metropolitan area to be a 2019 Voice of Caring partner. KMOX will honor one organization per month, providing public service announcements, a specialized webpage, and an on-air interview. Fill out your application today and please send any relevant information. Proof of 501c3 status is required. For more information on the Voice of Caring program or to fill out an application, click kmox.com caring. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, the sun is out, the fog is gone, and wow, the fall colors get out there and take a look down your street or in your own yard. I'll tell you, the sugar maple that we have right straight out from our kitchen window, I have never, ever seen it as colorful as it is this year. It is, uh, you know, it hasn't lost all its leaves yet. It's probably lost about 50%. And then we have two other sugar maples. One's already lost all its leaves, 
and we have one that hasn't lost any leaves yet. So it just goes to show you, even in a close environment and all this circumstance, how these trees react to situations, you just never, never know. Susan lives in Chesterfield. Susan, how are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Um, I'm calling. I have two questions today. I have a flame honeysuckle in, in the back of my house, which is a perfect southern-facing area. And I've been trying to get it to grow for three years, and it's been very finicky. And then after we had almost had a frost a couple weeks ago, it has shot up. <laughs> it's now put out eight-foot, um, you know, trailers or whatever you want to call it, and it's blooming. And I don't know what to do with it. I don't want it to die, but I have no idea how to prep it for winter. Basically, put a couple inches of mulch around it. Don't prune it back at all and leave it alone. Now, I'm assuming this is an evergreen vine honeysuckle? Um, it was called a flame honeysuckle, so it's got the reddish-purple flowers instead of the yellowish ones, yellowish so it's, gold ones. So it's a shrub type? It's not a vine type? No, it's a vine. Yeah, so, okay. So there's red trumpet honeysuckle. There's all kinds of different ones. It's just, you know, I mean, there's so many different varieties, it's hard to know which one. Just leave it alone, one or two inches of mulch, and that's pretty much it. Okay, and then my next question is, is um, my grandmother had a, a rose garden, and some of the rose bushes in there are 50, 55 years old. Um, we're selling the property, and I wanted to take one with me, but I'm concerned about moving it this time of year as it's going into dormancy. Is there any? And these are hybrid tea roses, specifically. She loved tropicanas. So um, is there any advice or any procedures I need to do? Get a five-gallon black plastic nursery pot, fill it up with potting mix, and put the rose in the potting mix, and then leave it in the pot, bring it to your house, draw, dig a hole in a garden space, and just put the, drop the pot right down into the hole. Okay. And get, I mean, get a, the reason why I'm saying get a five gallon, which is a huge black plastic nursery pot, so you can get the maximum amount of root system possible. Okay. And then someone said I need to take all the leaves off of it. Is that? Not this time of year. No, not yet. Okay. So it'll okay. tell you, you know, when you dig it up, it'll, you know, I mean, the, the foliage is going to start dropping anyway. So you're going to be pruning it after the first heavy duty frost which is usually okay. sometime around Thanksgiving. Then you're going to cut it back to about 8 to 10 inches. Then you're going to put about you know nine or 8 or 9 inches of mulch up over even the canes. So there's only going to be some of the canes of the Tropicana Rose you know, sticking through the mulch. But again, okay. leave it in the pot. Then next year, pull it up out. You know, Pull the pot up if you want to, and then put it in you know, a location in your garden or leave it in the pot for one more year and then uh, you know, see how well it does in the pot. Thank you. Yep. Tropicana was one of my favorite roses, too, for the hybrid teas. I used to grow them, but I don't, you know, I just have a couple knockouts now. But then uh, let's go to Joe in St. Charles. Joe, how are you? Hey, Mike. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Listen, I've got uh, some questions about uh, fall planting. Uh, recently, I ordered up uh, four bald 48-inch burning bushes uh, from a nursery, and they'll probably be delivered in the next week or two. Mm-hmm. To replace some existing old bushes that are really shop worn, um, is it advisable to do that in the you know transplant into the same location where the old bushes are coming out? Not the exact same location. I would probably move them over a foot or so. 
but you can dig around and see how much you know existing root system there is there. The only reason why I'm saying that is because there could be some, you know, even though unless you're really yanking these burning bush out, if you're just digging them up and popping them up, there's still going to be some feeder roots of the existing one that you're pulling out there that may be continuing to absorb nutrients and moisture, and it could impact the newly installed shrubs. So the best thing to do then is give them a new birthplace. Right. Kind of, you know, I don't know how far apart you had them before, but if you could just put the new ones in between where the existing ones have been removed, like right in the middle of them. I understand. Okay. My other question has to do with the lawn sod. Uh, I've got about a 12 by 10 area that uh, I'm having some sod bought in. Is this a good time of the year to be putting sod down? As long as it's fescue or bluegrass, no zoysia. No, this is uh, fescue. Okay. You should be fine. Rake it up really, really good, you know, so it can have good contact with the existing soil. You know, put it down. I'm sure that, you know, whoever's delivering it, they're going to tell you to water it every day for probably a week or so so it can get itself established. And that's pretty much all you're going to be able to do. I don't think I'd even put any winterizer down on it. Probably the sod farm has already put their you know application of winterizer on it. But uh, just watch it really closely. Make sure it's in good contact with the existing soil because that is crucial. If there's any air pockets underneath the sod, that's where cold air is going to sink into, and that's going to kill off the root systems of your sod. Watering it in uh, this time of the year, anticipating some freeze time, uh, is that advisable to go ahead and water it in? Absolutely. Water is really important. You know, freezing doesn't really do all, you know, the kind of frost we're going to have now is cosmetic frost. It's not going to be deep freezing into the ground. Got it. Okay. And then my final question has to do with a 16-year-old magnolia tree that uh, evidently was stressed out last winter. And this year, she didn't look very good, and I thought about taking her out, but then someone advised me about having it shaped up, you know, trimmed back. Uh, what would you suggest? You could, I, I would probably not take it back because it's, you know, the age that you're saying, but I would say, you know, prune anything that didn't have any leaves or anything, cut it, you know, cut all the, any branches off like that, and just leave it alone and see how it performs next spring, and then you can make the decision at that time. Okay, so springtime would be a better time to do any uh, real trimming. No, you could prune going, uh, yeah, let's say if you're just pruning to shape, no, I wouldn't do that going into wintertime. But if you're pruning to get rid of some dead wood on it, definitely do that. So good luck, Joe, and sorry we got to go. And uh, if anybody else, uh, let's see, we've got Fred, Crystal, Carla, Bob, and Denny hanging on. We're going to have to wait to get to you after the news. So other things, you go out there and take a look. I mean, whether it's lawn, bed spaces, and everything else, again, I'm saying there's a huge explosion of cold season broadleaf weeds and grassy weeds, too. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I'll be back after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. I know Mr. Kelly has a lot of things to do oh, in the busy, newsroom busy, busy. and all. Yeah, yeah, busy yeah. Man, I can busy man. But I'm curious. Uh, daylight yeah. savings time starts tomorrow. Yeah. And now in your house, you probably have multiple clocks, I'm assuming. Some of them may change on their own. You know, and mm-hmm. some don't. Yeah. So do you and Sue sort of split them up? You know, I'll do these, you do those. No, because the, the only one that doesn't change that I can think of is up high. And so I get that. I don't make her. And I probably, I'll do that like around 
New Year's. New Year's? Yeah, when she bugs me enough. You know, that clock's been wrong the whole time. Well, yeah, but you, now you know. And, and once mm-hmm. we change it, now you'll look at it and go, let's see, do I still subtract the hour, add the hour? I don't know. See, Spring forward, fall back. Fall back. Yeah. And, you know, but I never trust the phones. I really? hate tonight because, you know, you got to get up. I got to get up and be, f- like, first in the morning, first right. here. And I know it's going to change. I mean, but there's still something that's like, I got to set an extra alarm or two. Yeah. You know? It could be quirky. Yeah. Yeah. You just <laughs> never know. So, and I get, do you get up at 2 a.m. to do it? Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. I thought you had to. Because that's you when mean, it I've changes. been breaking yeah, the law all been. this time. 2 a.m. You got to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning oh, my and, and set it back. Yeah. Whoa. I know. It, it's a drag. I usually don't have too much trouble going back. To Maybe school, I'll though. see when you're on your way. Oh, that, you don't get down here quite that early. No, I was going to say, come by early. my house and you can set it. <laughs> sure, I'll do that. <laughs> well, Thanks, good luck Brian. with it. Yep. Good luck with it. Don't be late tomorrow. Yeah, Tracy has a collection of old clocks from the 50s. So oh, really? all those are the old dial things. So. And the real little metal <laughs> right. things you got to turn and they right. break. And yeah, exactly. oh, great. Right. We'll have fun with and that. And then some of them vibrate. <laughs> <laughs> I go over there and whack them a couple times, and it stops for a little while, and then it'll start vibrating again. Great. Yeah. <laughs> History. Yes. Uh, well, thanks. And, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. You can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you want to get in line with your questions, concerns, or comments, thanks for having me on your show. You can give a call, and we can talk about the ups and downs of annuals, the pansies. I'll tell you what surprised me. I got some ornamental cabbage, and they were really looking great. And then the other day I was out there looking, and I thought, what's wrong here? And I looked down close, and there was little cabbage worms, and they'd eaten about a third of the foliage. So, you know, there was about seven of them, so I squashed them and got rid of them. Uh, Your bulbs, you're taking your bulbs, your summer bulbs up and out, and putting your spring flowering bulbs in, your ground covers, house plants, trees, roses, shrubs, water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you as an option to consider. Greg Harvey, again, is producing. He always does a great job, keeps everything rolling very, very smoothly. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. And I come to your home, and we just kind of stroll around, answer questions you have. I was at a house this past Wednesday, and they, you know, the, they had some foundation plantings. And I said, the problem with these things, they may have lived for a long time, but they don't look very good if they've been here that long. And it was because and it had rained that day, so and the ground was really wet. And they'd done some additional watering because they had put some grass seed down. So it was like, oh, that's why it doesn't look so good. And they need to extend their downspouts, too, because the water was just coming out and just it was somewhat of a nightmare. But anyway, that's the kind of stuff we can talk about or who knows what. And uh, the tip of the trial is a special recognition of an individual. Oh, you can get a hold of me to go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, homepage, my email address and phone numbers listed. Uh, Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. It's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to all the different plant societies, and it is just absolutely amazing. I've got like six or seven pages of, you know, plant societies throughout the entire region. If you have specific interests or if you live in a, you know, specific location, 
they got it. I mean, there is something very, there's everything from Iris to Japanese. No, I don't think, well, Japanese bonsai, of course. I don't think there is a uh, plant society for Japanese maples, but that's kind of surprising. There's rock gardens. There is jesneriads, which means African violets. There's lilies. Let's see, what else do we have here? Hmm. Well, we've got various cities, too. We've got water garden societies. We've got hosta societies. We've got herb societies, all kinds of different things. So whatever your interest happens to be, there is a plant society that you could join, be part of. You can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, mobot.org, and they list a lot of them, especially basically the ones that meet at the Botanical Garden. But if you just go and look for plant societies online, you'll find a lot of them. So let's go now to the phones. Let's go to Fred in Maryland Heights. Hi, Fred. Hi, good morning. I appreciate your program. I have a couple of questions for you. First of all, uh, can you talk a little bit about crepe myrtles here and how they do and your thoughts on that? And secondly, I'll answer that one, and then you can give me the next one. Okay. Uh, shrub crepe myrtles do fantastic. I've seen some of them. They've been in the ground for a long time, but they're almost two stories high. And basically, the wintertime can kill them all the way to the ground, but they usually will come back, especially if they've been in, you know, healthy for a couple years. Uh, newly planted ones may not come back after just the first year if there's been a severely cold snap. And uh, pruning them, you don't have to prune them until, you know, you can wait. You can prune them going in a wintertime if you want to. You can prune them, you know, as we're coming out of wintertime. But do all the pruning that you're going to do before the new growth, new growth begins that spring. Okay. Uh, secondly, on the knockout roses, I've got uh, about three plants in the back, and they're still getting buds. Right. So when do I need to trim those back? When there's a hard frost, which is going to be usually around Thanksgiving to early December. So when it really, really gets cold. And do you suggest putting mulch around the uh, uh, where it comes out of the ground? Or yeah, not? two to four inches should be adequate. Any kind of okay. woody shrub or anything, whether it's a, a shrub-type rose, whether it's a viburnum, whether it's a crepe myrtle, a couple inches will actually help moisture retention and also just kind of give it, a let's say, a blanket of security. All right. Thanks again. We appreciate your program. Well, thank you. Now let's go to, let's see, Crystal in St. Charles. Hi, Crystal. Good morning, Mike. I have a, a curious kind of question um, I have some, I guess you pronounce it, uh, Coriopsis or Coriopsis? Yeah, Coriopsis. Coriopsis, okay. And um, it's the, it's the, I guess it's kind of the wild kind. They grow really tall, and they're kind of uh, thin, ferny sort of in a way. Yeah, it's probably a variety moonbeam. They don't oh. really get super tall. Uh, no, but I mean, like, they can grow at least three feet, right? I mean, uh, usually not quite that tall, but yeah, I guess they could. Okay. Well, I'm, the, the question I have is, is there a difference when you're picking flowers to harvest seed? Is there a difference from collecting it from a dried-up plant, I mean, you know, that's, that's uh, ready to be harvested, right. the, the seeds, or if you pick the flowers before they dry out you better let them dry on the plant okay if I you try to guess that, that you know to pick the flower they may not actually set the seed oh okay just i i knew probably but i just wanted to ask you if there was a difference in 
seed power between the two of them. Right. And Coreopsis, I've never, you know, I've not ever collected seed from them. It may work very well. I collect a lot of seeds from other members of the sunflower family, like uh, purple coneflowers, black-eyed Susans, brown-eyed Susans, and those types. Yeah, we have those. We have those, too. And um, I just also... When should I know they, they the kind we have comes up every year, but um, is there a certain time when you should plant it, like in the fall or real early spring? Well, probably availability at the garden center is going to be the thing that will trigger the earliest date you can possibly do it. And now I doubt you know we're got, probably past the point. I would probably not recommend planting herbaceous perennials like Coreopsis this time of year, even if the garden centers still have them. They're probably fine. It will be okay. But, you know, once we get past another week or so, past mid-November, I think no perennials should go in the ground. Uh, uh, they should not go in the ground after November. Yeah, mid-November or so. It's weather-dependent okay. because they may not get their root system established enough to actually sort of like, ah, winter, and if it's a severe winter, it could be really damaging. Woody oh. plant material, trees, shrubs, all that kind of stuff, that's a different, you know, different scenario. Okay. All right. And, um, well, thank you so very much. And my um, uh, crepe myrtle, you were just talking about it, it came up and the leaves bloomed, the leaves uh, fanned out really nice, but there was hardly any blossoms on it this year. And it must have been because of those freezes, I guess, that we had. It could have been that. But uh, crepe myrtle, they set their flower buds in the spring with the new growth, you know, as the leaves are uh-huh. coming out. So that should, you know, the cold that we had shouldn't have impacted them blooming in the summertime. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's just certain things are quirky. There's no getting around it. Now let's go to Carla in Granite City. Hi, Carla. Hey, good morning, Mike. I got uh, another crepe myrtle question for you. Uh, can you recommend a, um, I guess, a, a variety of crepe myrtle that would be great as a patio tree to throw a little bit of shade and uh, would have a nice fall color? Basically, there isn't a crepe myrtle tree type that grows here that's hardy for here at all. Oh. None. And what about the shrub kind? The shrub kind, you're going to have to wait for multiple years before it's going to get big enough to give you some shade. Oh, okay. You know, probably if I was looking at something, you want a smaller tree that could possibly give you some shade. Look at the uh, Sweet Bay Magnolia. Sweet Bay. Oh, it's like B-A-Y? Yeah, Sweet Bay Magnolia. Blooms in the summertime. Fragrant flowers. It's not going to give you great, fantastic fall color, but it gives pretty good fall color. Mm -hmm. What about chase trees in the area? No, they don't do it. Don't don't do it. They die back, huh? Right. And die back and don't come back. <laughs> okay, understood. Well, thank you for answering my questions. Have a great day. Certainly, you do the same thing. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. KMOX, keeping you up to date with frequent weather updates 24 hours a day on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns? Uh, Irrigation systems, uh, we've had a lot of rain, yes. 
but we may still have another dry spell. So I would hold off on having your irrigation systems shut down, especially if you've had newly installed sod or seed in your lawn areas. That's not so good. And now if you've had newly installed shrubs and things along that line, you can always just fill up a two-gallon bucket of water and carry it out and put it on the root system. But in your lawn areas, I would you know keep it available just in case. Dorothy lives in Highland, Illinois. Dorothy, how are you today? Good morning. I'm Hi. just fine. Great. Uh, I'm calling about a beautiful maple tree in my front yard. It's an autumn blaze tree. Ooh. And it is uh, just gorgeous. But the leaves that fall from the ends of the limbs look like they've been burned. They're all crunched. And that's been going on for a couple of years. Uh, now, the rest of the leaves are just perfect. But the end leaves look like they've been burned on the end. What could cause that? Basically, it's nature. The autumn blaze maple is not necessarily the strongest red maple variety for here. So my guess is during the heat, during this, during that, that's what's happened. Is just because of the genetics of this particular hybrid is, uh, you know, can't keep the strength. It's not producing. It's not pulling up enough moisture, the vascular system and the veins, you know, from the root, from the soil and then getting it to the end of the roots. So, it's, you know, it just uh, it's not keeping enough moisture there. So there's not really too much else you can do. Okay, so just let it alone. But it's it's big and it's gorgeous. Great. I wondered if there was something I needed to do. Okay. Well, I mean, there Thank is you. something you could do. Uh, halfway out from the trunk to the drip line of the tree, you can do something called deep root feeding, where you you know you can have a service come out, auger some holes down, and backfill those holes with compost. That will just you know feed the soil, and then the soil is responsible for actually feeding your maple. But it may not make any difference whatsoever. Okay, I think I'll let it the way it is. All right. It's gorgeous. Uh, thank you. Yep. Thank you for the information. Yeah, that, I mean, that is the maples this year are nothing you know less than striking, and that is one of the better ones. I'll tell you what I noticed, too. There's wads on some of my maple trees and trees throughout the entire area that, you know, are just wound up. You know, the leaves are just crushed or kind of crunched together and with a webbing. And so I, you know, I haven't taken the time to try to, you know, chop off one or, you know, with my pole pruner or anything and take a look at it and see what's causing that. So anyway, now let's go to Jeannie in Wildwood. Hi, Jeannie. Hi. I have a question about um, lawn service. Our neighbor has a zoysia lawn and we live right next door. We have a bluegrass lawn. This summer, her lawn was just about wiped out with a lawn fungus mm -hmm. that she was told only affects zoysia grass. And we have not experienced any of the fungus, but we are um, wanting to use her lawn service to um, break our leaves this fall. Right. And we're wondering if the lawn service could spread the fungus from her yard to our yard, if her fungus for zoysia will affect our bluegrass lawn. Generally, it should not. That's not to say that it wouldn't. But for the most part, you know, fungus circumstances in lawn are very specific on the type that they go after and the, the type that they're actually most successful for. And especially when you got the contrast of one, you know, being healthier when the weather is cool, cold. That's, you know, 
the basically like what you have, the bluegrasses and fescues, and hers is basically, you know, when the weather is hot or warm, that's when theirs is most successful. So with that contrast, you there may be some, let's say, different, or there may be some transmission of a disease if if they're raking her yard and then coming straight over to yours. There may be something on the rakes or whatever. That would be, you know, a possibility. But for the most part, it should not impact each one, you know, equally. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your help. Sure. Yeah, it's a, you know, lawn is just, it's extremely difficult. We have the worst region in the world. Well, I shouldn't say world, but worst region in the United States for growing lawn. We're at that transition point, major transition point, where, you know, if you look across, you see, you know, bluegrass, Kentucky, Known for that, everything else, but their topography is different, and you know than ours. Their soil types are different than ours, and so that's what makes a difference. So the north-south thing is very, very important. Zoysia doesn't grow too much further north than us, and bluegrasses don't. You know, they go south from here, they go north from here, but they don't like it here because of our humidity. It's just really a tough situation. Let's go now to Florissant and into George's yard. Hi, George. Morning, Mike. How you doing? Very good. I have a question for you. On the uh, lantanas, the little berries are... Now, would those be seeds or something that I could just uh, throw away? <laughs> you could throw them away. I've, you know, I've never really had much success. And over the years, I've tried to grow all kinds of different things. But I've pulled some you know, lantana berries off, let them dry, and then tried to plant them the next year. And I really got nothing you know, that I can remember that was worthwhile. And, you know, lantana takes a long time, you know, to get a pretty good size. So even if you did be able to get one germinate, for it to be able to be functional as far as aesthetics, that could take several years. <laughs> I don't know if I have several years left. Anymore, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll try it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't hurt to try. <laughs> Boy, talk about a no-brainer plant. They're awesome. They you aren't awesome. kidding. And especially if you don't like to water because they like it dry. If you go to Southern California, you'll see lantana all over the place. They're huge. And there they get about nine inches of rain a year, and people don't do extra watering for the most part. And so, yeah, they are tough. They're durable and spectacular as far as the amount of flowering. And expensive. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Have a good weekend. Yep. Thanks, George. Haven't heard from you for a while, so it's great to hear your voice. And now let's go to Denny in St. Louis. Hi, Denny. Yes, I had uh, some sod put in uh, early September. Do I need to do anything through the winter? Uh, It's probably fairly well established. I wouldn't have any problems since it was put in at that time of putting a winterizer fertilizer on it now. Okay. And then the last question is I have a red maple. When can I trim that back? Uh, the maples actually prefer to be pruned during the summertime. There's less sap flow. The sap flow is not, de- you know, it won't be deadly to it. But summertime for maples, birches, and beech trees is the advised time versus fall slash winter, which is for most of the other trees. Great. Thank you. Yep. And, I mean, you can prune them in the wintertime. Just expect to see sap, you know, constantly flowing. And uh, it doesn't, you know... It's probably, like I say, won't be deadly, but it's just kind of frightening. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
KMOX's Pints and Politics returns to Llewellyn's Pub in Webster Groves this coming Monday, midterm eve. John Hancock and Michael Kelly will once again serve as masters of mediocre political trivia. Mark Reardon will be on site with a team playing along. Trivia starts at 7 p.m., so grab your friends and enjoy an evening out. The trivia is free. Prizing will be awarded for first, second, and third place. We'll see you Monday for KMOX's Pints and Politics at Llewellyn's Pub in Webster Groves. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, we still got a few minutes to go. And uh, if you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We at KMOX, we're located in the Park Pacific Building. And uh, straight across the street from us is a little park, you know, one square block park. And then just to the, I guess that would be the southeast of us, though, no, southwest of us is a soldier's memorial. And so we can just see all the people, you know, starting to show up for the grand opening and reopening of it. And so it looks like a spectacular circumstance. And there's enough breeze now. When I took my good gardening stroll there this morning, there was no breeze at all. But the flags are moving, and so it's really kind of a neat circumstance. And that soldier's memorial, if you've come down or seen it when you've been down for various circumstances, it looks, I mean, the, the, the building obviously is the same building. But everything around it has been changed. Has been changed entirely. Some of those trees and everything else that had been there for so long, some of those crab apples and everything else were so ugly. But uh, you know now it is spectacular. So, guess what? Let's go out to Brentwood and go into Jan's yard. Hi, Jan. Hi, Mike. A uh, couple quick questions. Uh, is this a good time to? Or the zoysia lawn, do we cut it real low? Not too low. Never cut it, No, never scalp it down. So it's it's turning brown now, mine is too, and probably set your mower at about two inches, and really I don't recommend cutting it lower than two inches. Okay. Okay, and the other thing, uh, good time to cut back. I got uh, knockout roses, white spurea bush, and a dogwood tree. Uh, is this a good time to... Any of those three, I need to know when to cut those down. Basically, the knockout rows, you're going to do that Thanksgiving, you know, December after a really cold one. The spirea and the dogwood now, they're spring flowering. So if you prune them now, you're pruning off flower buds for next year. So when do you cut those back? You cut them back right after they finish flowering. In the spring? Yes. So when, you know, the dogwood, when it finishes flowering, if you go out and look at your dogwood now, you'll see little round buttons on the end of the branches. That's next year's flowers. In the spirea, they're not going to be all that obvious, but that's a spring flower. I'm assuming you're talking about, uh, you know, bridal veil or bridal wreath, you know, whatever it happens to be, spirea that has the white flowers. You're talking about the one that has kind of the pinkish purple ones. No, the white flowers, and it's a really, it's been there for many years. Right. So that, you know, that's the flower buds are on those stems right now, even if they're not as obvious as the dogwood. So if you prune anything that's supposed to flower in the springtime, it doesn't hurt it. It just means you're reducing the amount of flowers you're going to see next spring. Okay. Okay. Thanks for your information. Thanks, Mike. And, yeah, I mean, the same thing is, like, you can prune spring-flowering things, but we're growing them to see the spring-flowering. And they set the flower buds in the fall for the spring flowers next year. Let's go now to Keith's yard, and he lives in Winsville. Hi, Keith. Hi, Mike. Hey, I went looking for a uh, winterizer the other day. Why is it that the uh, uh, the 
chemical. It, it's a 3202. I, I thought we were supposed to do something for the root growth in the winter time, and that 30 that, that's just going to make the uh, blade green up and grow, isn't it? No, it won't. It doesn't cause a surge. Basically, the plant gathers as much as it can of the nitrogen, which is really just for the healthy circumstance, and then consequently. After about four days or so, four or five days after you put down that fertilizer, the majority of the nitrogen just goes back up into the air. So the plant, the grass plants are going to gather as much as they need just to kind of keep them healthy for the winter time. So, no, you're not necessarily doing a winterizer to help the root systems because the root systems are really not actively growing, but they can use the nitrogen just to keep themselves invigorated and healthy. So that's what the difference is. And then consequently, a healthy grass blade will be, enable, will be able to, uh, guess what, make food, chlorophyll. And, so, and that will just help the overall grass, individual grass plants by doing that. So I put it down right before all this rain. Is it, uh, I didn't really read the instructions, but is that... Uh, all this rain, is that going to make it less effective, more effective? Or? No, it probably you know drives it down into the soil, like I say, and the, the grass plants, the blades, you know, the sod, whatever, is going to absorb the nitrogen really very quickly. And then after a few days, it doesn't absorb it anymore because it, you know the nitrogen becomes a gas and goes up in the air. It never comes back down out of the air unless there's lightning strikes. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, are you familiar with a genre of flower called passion flowers? Uh, it's a vine. Or is that what we're talking about? Yeah, the vine. Yeah. Um, do you know anywhere a guy can get one? I have a customer who gave me some seed pods from a couple years ago, and I had trouble getting the seeds to germinate, and I was just wondering if there was a way I could buy the actual flower. Uh yeah, I mean, certain garden centers are going to have them. I don't know which ones are closest to you, but probably the big box stores don't have them. You're going to have to go to a year-round garden center, and they're not going to have them this time of year. Right. And then you can always go online and try to get some bare root ones. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yep, good luck with that. Yeah, if you didn't live so far out, I'd, I could recommend a couple garden centers, but uh, you know, out in Wentzville, I don't know which ones. You know, I guess I should. That's pretty bad of me. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, there's not every nursery is going to, even the year-round nursery is going to have passion vines, you know, or passion flowers. There is a, for people that don't know these things, they're really totally wild and crazy looking. And uh, the seeds are even wilder looking than the flowers are almost. So let's go now to Joe in St. Charles. Hi, Joe. Hi, Mike. Um, I have a couple of questions. I'm still confused about trimming hydrangeas. It depends upon what type you have. If you have one that blooms in the spring, which is usually the white-flowered round ball one, don't prune it in the fall. If okay. any of the rest of them, you can prune them through the winter time, but don't do any pruning after the new growth begins in the springtime. New growth meaning even leaves coming out. Wow. Okay. And, and how do I trim them? Do I just trim every stalk back three feet? Uh, it's up to you. I mean, some people do it that severely. I don't see any reason to cut them back that severely. Uh, but it's, I mean, I would say rather than make him look like a, you know, I don't want to say something made in a factory, I would say cut some back at one length, some back at another length, and make them look natural because they, you know, they do kind of have a natural look to them. 
that sounds good. That sounds good. I have three or four pots of mums that are just gorgeous. Uh, do can I keep those over winter? You can if you look at the stems where the stems coming up out of the ground. If you see little leaflets, you know, at the base of that stem, then they're probably going to make it through the winter time. If not, if you don't see anything, then don't bother with it. But there, you know, the pots you're going to have to sink. If they do have the little leaflets, you're going to have to sink the pot into the soil into the you know in a garden space or something like that, or plant it. Okay, all right. And and one more thing, I got some daffodils that didn't come up last year. Can I dig those up and replant them? No. They're probably already rotted. There's something wrong with them. But if they didn't come up even with a leaf, then there's nothing there. Okay. Well, thank you very much. This sure. has been great. Enjoy your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Let's go Blues! Hey, folks. Chris Kerber here. And the Blues drop the puck tonight at Enterprise Center. The Blues host the Minnesota Wild. It's a 6.30 pregame, 7 o'clock face-off right here on KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. (laughs) Yes, folks. It is absolutely a beautiful day. The sun was out. Now it's cloudy. So we're getting all those kind of great fluctuations. And that's what your plant material has to deal with. Fluctuations of all sorts. Richfield, Illinois, that's where Mark lives. Hi, Mark. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I have a two questions. I had a beautiful fountain cherry tree for about 15 years, and it just up and died on me. And I want to replace it, and I want to know when that time would be, and then do I need to do anything with that soil after I remove the old tree and roots? I'm just not quite sure what happened to it. Uh, basically, I would probably not put it in the exact same spot, just in case it was a vascular fungus disease, because it may still be in the root systems that's going to that's there from your old one, and so I'd put it a few, you know, several feet away. And as far as the time of year, it's availability as much as anything. Usually, you know, the flowering trees of that sort are going to be available in the spring versus the fall. Thank you very much. Yes, yeah. It's you never know. I mean, in the flowering cherry trees. Uh, Boy, oh boy, some of the flowering trees go on and on and on forever. And then some of them really have somewhat of a limited life. And why that is, it's just, you know, it's really, really, it's tough to figure out. So, well, anyway. it, it was it was one of those trees that cut it. I would tree them both like the shape of an umbrella. Oh. I mean, I could put lights on it at Christmas. I could make it look like a palm tree. People used to come and take pictures of this tree. Ah, so it was a and weeping cherry. Yes. Okay. Fountain cherry tree. Right. Beautiful. Yeah, they have a somewhat limited life because they're grafted. Root systems grafted to the trunk, and the top is grafted to you know to you know to the trunk. So it's roots, graft, trunk, and then another graft, and that's what the weeping part is. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Certainly. Paul lives in Baldwin. Paul, how are you? I redid my front yard a couple years ago, tilled it and put a new sod, I mean, uh, seed on. First year was good. Last, this year, about half the year, also I have a ton of clover all over my yard. I don't know what I need to do about that. Basically, you're going to have to go after it with like a broadleaf weed killer. And then, you know, after this, let's say this is done, after you've kind of knocked it down a little bit, then probably every year for the next several years, 
put seed down every May and every September. And when you put it down, you know, each time put a seed starter fertilizer with it. And then in the winter and for, let's say, the fall time, do some winterizer fertilizer. But you're going to have the reason why is because the lawn was never really as thick as what you thought it was. That's how the clover was able to invade. And don't cut your grass too short. Three to three and a half inches is probably the height, the ideal height to help minimize, not eliminate, but minimize some of the invasions of some of the weedy, you know, weedy plant materials. Okay, now should I do some of that, some of that right now for the fall? Uh, you're kind of late for putting seed down, to be honest with you. Okay. So, and the herbicides are going to be much, you know, less and less effective as the seasons, as the days get shorter and shorter and shorter. So you might be wasting your money. So just, you know, get a whole system set up and ready to go as soon as you can, starting in the springtime. Okay. Hi. Right. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's go to Bud in St. Peter's. Hi, Bud. Hey, good morning. Um, I have a question about a problem area on my lawn. On the front lawn, I have a strip of grass between the sidewalk and the street. And it seems like every year it gets so hot from the, the sun bouncing off the street and the sidewalk that it kills or most of the strip of grass. And I have to wind up reseeding every year. And in the spring it comes out, looks great. But then as the summer progresses, it just starts to get too hot and, and dies out. So I was thinking about putting maybe zoysia in. Do you think something like that would withstand the heat better than normal fescue-type grass? It will stand it a little bit better, but it's not going to look fantastic under any means. Huh. And what's going to yeah. happen is along the curb and along the sidewalk, the zoysia is going to burn. Because I have one strip, you know, most of the areas that I have between the sidewalk and the street, I've used a type of sedum, sedum acre, S-E-D-U-M-A-C-R-E. And, uh, you know, it's called gold moss, too. But I have one section straight across from my backyard that is, you know, what the situation you're talking about. I have zoysia in there, healthy zoysia. I've augered holes. I've composted. I've done everything. It looks pretty darn good, to be honest. But still, you know, two inches, you know, or two to three inches from the sidewalk into the lawn and from the curb into the lawn is just yellow, year, brown, year-round, no matter what I do. Huh. Okay. So the sedum you're talking about, is that, uh, what is that exactly? And I see it's just a it's a type of ground cover that uh, you know is pretty low care. Uh, you know people can walk on it. It's not wise to walk on the same spots over and over and over again. It's yellow flowers in May, and then this time of year, it, kind of the foliage on it will turn, uh, let's say, a yellowish. That's where the gold moss name comes from. And it's just it's it. I don't do any extra watering or anything with it. So it's just it's just low care. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot for your help. Yeah, the sedum, you know, this is just one variety of sedum. Some people don't necessarily like it because it kind of disappears in the wintertime, but I don't really care that all that much. There are certain types of sedum that are tough. They're basically like cactus that have no thorns. And this, the gold moss sedum grows about an inch high. There's other varieties like dragon's blood that goes three or four inches, and that does stay evergreen through the wintertime. And there's packy sedum. There's a couple other different kinds of sedums that you might consider growing in that situation. And they can take the heat. That's the nice thing about them. Jackie in Brentwood, you're going to be our last caller. Hi. Um, I have a small garden area next to the house that used to have a huge oak tree years ago. We had cut down about 10 years ago. But now the last couple years, the I guess the roots are finally decaying because I keep sinking in when I walk on it to in some of the area. It's not very large, like 15 by 15 or right. something. Um, and 
I was going to have the guy that does our grass bring a few bags of garden soil uh, to fill in some more. Uh, He said that he's got some soil from retaining walls that he's been putting in, excess soil that he's digging out to do the retaining walls, and he said I could he could bring that over and free. I'm thinking, I don't know. You're and, right. Ugh, you don't know. You don't want that stuff. It could be heavy-duty clay. It could be really a nightmare. And unless he blends it in with the existing soil, he's just kind of wasting time. But you're absolutely right on what's happening. The root system is imploded, and that's why it's sinking in those spots. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, after so many years. Right. Um, okay, well, I'm going to tell them to do the regular garden soil. Yeah, I mean, like a, a topsoil compost mix, something along that line, and blend it in. Don't just lay it on top of the ground. Okay. All right. Okay, well, very good. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, it just shows you how, you know, tree roots, how long they can survive. Now, oak is a little bit tougher tree than some of the other ones. Like magnolia trees have more of a fibrous root system, but the oaks, the elms, the maples, all those have big, massive, major root systems. And it takes them a long time to finally totally implode. And a lot of times I've been, you know, at people's homes doing a walk and talk, and they say, look at all these mole tunnels. And I said, I'll bet there was a tree right here because I can always tell where a tree was because there's a depression. And then you see all these wiggle things coming out from where that original tree that had been taken out quite a while ago. And guess what? They imploded. The root system finally did. And it looks like, you know, collapsed mole tunnels, but it wasn't. It was just the tree roots have finally rotted to the point where they are basically a goner. So everybody get out and enjoy the fall color. If you can take a drive anyplace. I mean, it everywhere is just strikingly beautiful. I don't know how much longer it's going to last. So if you get a chance to get out and just enjoy, you want to come down to the Soldier's Memorial. Today is a grand opening. So even on the drive down here, you're going to see some spectacular trees and just enjoy. This is a fantastic fall. Mike Miller, KM Morris Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law